to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Sunday and welcome back to another episode of the Embodied Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slid over to iTunes and dropped a five-star rating, a written review. Let me know what you're loving about the show, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. All feedback is welcome. Those ratings and reviews mean the world because they help get the show into more ears and more souls across the world. And to do that without marketing or advertising, that's incredible. And I feel like this message is so, it's important for us to have these in-depth conversations together. So if you have done that, thank you so much. And I'm really happy that you're here. So today's episode... I am currently reading the book called The Myth of Analysis by James Hillman. Um, James Hillman is the founder of Archetypal Psychology, and he the way that he writes is very, he circles around things often. It's, it often feels like you don't really have a solid place to stand and follow. So it's like really, it's beautiful writing, but it's hard to follow. But I feel like archetypal psychology is so important in the way that, well, in my life in particular, in the way that I have been opening myself to view the world, to view my clients, to view my relationships, and it's just been so helpful. And so what I wanted to do for today's episode is I wanted to read some sections from The Myth of Analysis and talk about how throughout the... I think Hillman talks about like after the end of like the 18th century into the 19th century, just this this very prominent shift in psychology. And so if we're looking at really, I love to break down words and etymologies and things like that, right? So if we look at psychology itself, it's psyche and logos put together. And if logos is finding the divine order in things and psyche is symbolic of soul it's psychology is is really finding divine order within soul hillman is really adamant in his work about helping individuals see how we across time in history have really created this scientific rational way to approach psychology that is pretty antithetical to what it was actually supposed to represent in the first place, given the name. I'm not going to go into like the philosophies or the history of different thinkers of the 17th century. You can read that in this book if you want to. But it's interesting to see the evolution of the way the psyche has been approached. And it's really been reduced and soul has been squeezed out of it. And so... I'm going to read a few sections from the book that I'm I'm just organically going to jam off of the quotes and see where this episode goes. I think that 
we have taken psychology to a very scientific place and created pathology out of certain manifestations of psyche that were, are organically bringing us back to soul, but because the way we look at them is pathological, it creates this barrier and keeps soul out of psychology. If we look at that word too, pathology, finding the divine order in pathos means to suffer or to experience. And so if we're finding the divine order in suffering and experience, it's like, why why do we look at those things as if they are quote unquote bad? We create this moral position towards our experiences and we deem them bad and we create a value structure of psychology itself to say if you're experiencing and suffering this, it's better than if you're suffering and experiencing this. And how can we look at that from a broader perspective and widen our consciousness to see perhaps maybe it all belongs, we just have the wrong orientation to it all. So on page 166, he says, no wonder that Jung was not understood. He was speaking a new language and using an old language in a new way. His rectification of the language of psychology began with expressions of the unconscious psyche as given in fantasy, dream, and emotion. He began with manifest events, the phenomena as they appeared. His was thus an attempt to save the phenomena, the contents of the soul, at a time when the soul was believed to have no contents of its own, when its disorders were regarded as meaningless disturbances of function and structure. He turned to soul itself and asked it to tell its own tale in its own speech. He says, but can we be sure of our witness? In the babble of internal voices, how do we hear the soul speaking? How do we recognize the soul in its authentic speech? The multiplicity of psychologies, the fact that there are so many different psychological, quote unquote, (laughs) psychological points of view, among which we cannot decide, quote unquote, who is right, reflects the multiplicity of souls and the states of these souls. All are necessary, none is sufficient. There can never be a single, all-encompassing psychology encompassing all the psyche until there can be that utopia where the psyche, a complex of every opposite, becomes one, whole, and simple. I think what he's talking about here is to open space to the contradictory experiences that happen within the individual. It was interesting, I was listening to a Jordan Peterson podcast, and he was asking the question to his guest, are all white individuals racist? And it was this brilliant conversation about widening to the fact that when we take ideologies and ideas and concepts and boil them down and reduce them down into this very just restrictive perspective, what that does is it filters out the sacredness of the individual itself. And I think what Hillman is advocating for is for us to be able to approach the psyche as a pantheon of gods and ask like what energy what god what archetype is moving through us at this time and influencing our behavior you know some examples with you know that i work with with my clients is like 
the inner child, the demon lover, the great mother, the negative father, the puer. There's so many different images that are carrying these patterns of experience. And I was telling Rick this morning, I think the problem within psychological diagnoses is they've taken these experiences so like let's use like the dsm manual right so it's just like a manual of diagnostics if we look at that from an archetypal perspective we could ask how is the divine how are the gods working through an individual at this moment you can ask that about yourself what archetypes are influencing me at this moment and what the dsm does is it would take that experience that curiosity that widened perspective that connects us to the histories, the origins, the myths that we are created from, that we come from, and it reduces it down into a label. And what that does is it really strips the humanity, it strips the soul out of the human experience. And now we're labeling humans and categorizing humans without asking the deeper questions of what is influencing this individual the sacred individual soul at this moment in time and that's why i love dreams so much i love dream tending so much because we can see in the dream the images that are working through the psyche without the ego necessarily being aware of it so if you have this dream where you're being chased by a bad man We can ask, who is that bad man that's influencing the psyche? How is it influencing your behavior in work, in your relationships, how you're treating your body? That really creates this perspective of getting to know your soul. You're turning towards soul and starting to ask the questions rather than, oh, I'm having nightmares. There must be something wrong with me. And maybe I need to treat it based on this particular diagnostic. And I think that that just leaves out so much of the human experience. And it really strips the sacred from the experience itself. And on page 168, he says, All that takes place within the psyche reflects the divine. Psychology reflects theology. Or in Jung's language, the archetypes reflect the gods. I think that's really, really, really powerful. On page 172, he's talking about how, like the formation of the unconscious, how it wasn't necessarily a new discovery to Freud and to Jung. He says, this background to the unconscious gives us another approach to establishing its ontology. Memoria has the reality of a fundamental power of the soul. It needs no empirical proof. Yet the evidence for the unconscious has always been by negative demonstration. That is, the existence of the unconscious is demonstrated through its disturbing effects on ego consciousness via slips of the tongue, forgetting, being affected by complex, hysterical symptoms, multiple personalities. So he's saying here that our modern relationship to unconscious has been drawn from this path like psychopathological place he said we have to be sick to rediscover the felt experience the power of this imaginal faculty speaking of the unconscious said freud psychology and jung's and analysis itself all arise from the ontological ground of the pathological imagination i think being with the truth of that and recognizing how 
the unconscious material that is coming forward because it disrupts our kind of monotonous everyday experience. We deem that pathological because it's disruptive to that kind of hedonic consciousness of just kind of going through the motions and going through your day. When Jung talks about synchronicities, he speaks about these kind of phenomenon that these symbols that are all around us, but the psyche isn't necessarily attuned to them. And as as my clients and myself, as I like continue to go down this imaginal developing imaginal consciousness, I start to recognize that these symbols are working around us all the time. On the last podcast, I talked about the symbol of injection and how that's working really powerfully through the collective psyche at this moment. And Hillman says, as a result, its images have to be considered as full realities, not mere fantasies, mere hallucinations, mere projections, not anything mere at all. Mereness a negative proof reflect the failure of the understanding to grasp the power of the soul. We have lost our imaginal ego, the ego which speaks for this aspect of the soul. Man, we totally have. And I think that's just a byproduct of the culture that we're raised in. And we can see this now more than ever being very influenced to move into the mass of the culture and do what is acceptable outwardly even if it comes at a cost of your conscience, of your soul, I think what depth psychology ultimately does is it puts the individual soul in right relationship to what's happening collectively and helps the individual soul pull from, again, its origins and its history so that the soul can be exposed. It can be open. It can be life is filtered through that and so the next part i wanted to read is before continuing to use the term unconscious in therapy to mean a region of the soul and its deeper intentions we might do well to re-examine what is meant by consciousness he talks later about that but perhaps the phenomena of the so-called unconscious which do not fit into our definitions of consciousness and therefore have become pathological are better conceived as twisted paths into memoria, as ways leading back into lost areas of the soul, its imaginations, and its history. Freud showed that symptoms lead to discoveries and that psychopathology is a vehicle for entering the depths. I mean, there's so much truth in that. I'm like just sitting with that. There's something that just keeps kind of returning over and over week by week in my own life. And that is feeling like the work I'm doing with clients as they work through their individual traumas and work through how they're being influenced by collective trauma. It really is like this position of remembrance. It's interesting because as we get deeper into the work with my individual clients, it's so funny because it's like, I've always known that this part of me was there before I had language for it, before it's as if they knew it was there but didn't know where to look or how it was there, how it manifested. What it is 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 the soul. And so, again, it's just really interesting because we have this perspective of psyche that is so 
adamantly against soul. And I think that's because if we truly open up to the truth of a greater perspective, we can't, we have to put our like egoic will, our egoic will and our willpower and these mental faculties that psychology has become has to be, uh, it has to be taken off the pedestal and it has to sit alongside the unconscious manifestations of dreams, of fantasies, of imagination, of symbols, of emotions. And they, they have to sit on level ground and create a relationship. And that is painful for the ego because there's a lot of rigidity that builds up to protect that death. But we have to, we have to do that if we're going to be in right relationship to what is happening because if we continue to just diagnose strip away people's humanity medicate individuals who don't need medicated not against medication but i think we're it's almost laziness i don't think it's laziness actually i take that back i think it's just incompetence of creating a relationship with imaginal ego and being able to work with these symbols and work with these images and work with these inner experiences and emotions and if we do that the individual will prosper the individual soul comes to life it's creative it's inspired it's meaningful it's engaged with the world and just slapping a name on that and medicating to suppress is not addressing the root cause of the problem and the root cause of the problem is that the ego doesn't it doesn't know how to be in relationship to these unconscious forms the archetypes so the last part i'm going to read is the discipline of imagination instead asks where where to, to place this happening and by asking where in fantasizing in terms of place, the psyche enlarges its interiority, the space by which it carries meaning. We assume from the beginning that there is a place for everything, that everything can somehow belong to one god or another. The search through the caverns of the soul extends our capacity, whereas the search for how, solutions, reduces us to fixers. Whenever the how question arises under the guise of let's be practical, a movement goes upward out of the psychic realm into the world of coping consciousness. The complexes are not placed and rooted in their archetypal homes, but are dealt with as disturbances. But perhaps this is all modern therapeutic analysis has become, a branch of the practical intellect where the analyst is a sophisticated teacher about how to cope. This is something that um, I was speaking to with a client yesterday. Was, we were discussing... She gets very caught up in the whys. And Hillman was saying, where? Like, where, where is this taking place? I am pretty adamant in my practice in particular. Before my individuals that I work with, before they are able to find a why, I believe that you must encounter a what. 
And this is so true with somatic experiencing and working with the body as well when you're trying to find what archetype is working through the body. You want to know why you're feeling that way, but you don't know even what you're feeling at all. And that's really overwhelming to the psyche because you're searching for this mental answer to try to create order and clarity. But that doesn't take away the chaos of the what And the what is the archetypal experience manifesting in the body somewhere. And so I think it's really important for us to, again, this whole podcast was just amusing about widening consciousness so that it will be taken off of this pedestal of reductionism so that it sits alongside what is not conscious yet, the unconscious, it can learn and create a greater capacity to interact with that. And I think that is what psychology was intentionally made to do. And I find in my practice in particular, regardless of where the individuals that I work with, where they are spiritually oriented, as they get deeper into the work, they feel more deeply held in relationship to something greater than them. Some of them call it God, some of them call it universe, love, whatever you want to, however you want to create a construct of it. But there is this somatic experience of being connected to something greater than themselves. And that creates deep meaning in the work. And that starts to create this really deep and rich process of getting to know oneself so that you can interact with the world from a soulful place and I think that's really what the divine order of soul is all about is getting into the relationship with the divine and navigating this world in that way and I think that there's just not a lot of room a lot of psychological modern psychological perspectives I am hopeful I think that it's continuing to evolve but recognizing that there's no one right way to approach the psyche. And if there's an approach that isn't inclusive of the whole of the individual, there's probably something there that is split off that is also being influenced by an archetype. So there's endless material to work with when you're working with psyche. I'm, I'm so con of that so i hope that you guys enjoyed this episode it was just my musings on psychology and psyche if you guys are interested in engaging with a community that is going to be moving into psyche feel free to join rick my fiance and i we are doing our next book club starting november 14th we're doing books the books he and she by robert johnson each book is about 90 pages so it's not very long um, but the books are unpacking masculine psychology and feminine psychology so studying masculine archetypes through the story of the parsifal myth and then diving into the feminine through the myth of psyche and eros so if you're interested in joining a a very beautiful community has really rich and wide conversations you can head to the show notes and um, click the link and you can go to the page and sign up the best part about the book club is it's pay what you want you get to choose the price this is really important for us to create a very accessible model of having a community that can have deep 
conversations. So if you are one of those people, we would love to see you in there. We start November 14th. You don't have to have anything read by then. It's just an orientation call to orient you to the book club. Other than that, I will talk to you guys on Thursday. Bye, guys.